this summer, my family and I got to go back to our home country of the UK for the first time since before the pandemic. We got to visit all sorts of different places like Dublin, Oxford, St. Andrews, Edinburgh. We took in historic Christian sites like monasteries and Glendalough, Iona, Lindisfarne and St. Andrews Cathedral alongside studying contemporary issues facing the church today, such as gender identity, critical race theory and cancel culture, but undoubtedly the highlight of the trip was being able to see our UK family again. It's been a long two and a half years, and the reunion was just as sweet as you might have expected. There's just something different about being with your blood relatives, am I right? And this was kind of brought home to us in a moment during that trip. Rachel was with one of her cousins. Her cousin has uh, several kids, some of whom my wife Rachel had never met before. And these kids kept coming up to Rachel and hugging her. And it got kind of excessive to the point that Rachel felt like she had to say something. So she turned to them and she said, hey, you don't have to keep on hugging me. I know I'm kind of a stranger to you. To which one of the kids replied, oh, no. You are not a stranger, you are my family. You know, there's something different about family, and in particular about physical contact with our family. We all know the pain of the physical distancing that took place in the pandemic, don't we? Grandparents unable to hug their grandkids, single people being completely isolated from everyone else, and and then those who are immunocompromised having to sustain it longer than anyone else. And by now, we all have that that moment, that memory of when we finally were reunited with those people that we we couldn't touch for whatever length of time that was, the, the joy, the fulfillment of finally being able to give someone in our family a hug. Greeting each other with a physical embrace is a vital part of what it means to be family. Without it, those relationships felt lacking in something, didn't they? Well, what if I told you that this physical embrace, the vitality of a physical embrace is true, not only for our biological families, but also for our spiritual family, the church? Well, that's the message that we find in the one and other passages that we're going to be looking at today. Well, welcome to Chapel Hill. My name is Ellis. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's a joy to be back with you in person after a sabbatical this summer. Thank you so much for the gift that that was to me and to my family. I can't wait to share with you some of the things that that God taught me during that season. But today, we're going to be finishing off our One Another's series. We've been talking all summer about what does it mean to be the church, to be with one another. We've talked about forgiving, encouraging, accepting, honoring, praying for, serving, admonishing, living in harmony with, and caring for one another. I don't know if you remember remember way back at the beginning of this journey through the one and other passages of the New Testament, Pastor Mark said that uh, there's one that's more frequently used than any other, and that was to love one another. Do you know what is the second most frequent one another command in the New Testament? Any ideas? It's to greet one another with a holy kiss. It occurs five times 
in the New Testament. Five times we're told to greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, let's put that in perspective, not just with the one another's, but what about some other commands that we find in the New Testament? So quick pop quiz here this morning. I'm going to give you some New Testament commands. I want you to shout out how many times you think this command appears in the New Testament. Okay, do to others as you would have them do to you. How many times? It's just two. Two times. And how important is that for our faith? How about this one? Love your enemies. How many times do you think love your enemies is in the New Testament? It's just three times. That's it. What about this one? This one must be there. Fear God. How many times in the New Testament do you think it says to fear God? Only four times. And yet it says five times to greet with a holy kiss. And so I have a question for those of you who were greeting at our My cheeks are there. I didn't have any kisses. Why? Well, that's what we're going to explore today. And I hope that by the end of today's message, we're going to see that we have a God, a Father, who greets us with a holy kiss, in spite of the fact that we've given him a kiss of betrayal, and that he encourages us to warmly embrace our Christian brothers and sisters that they might know that they too are beloved sons and daughters of God, that we have all been adopted into his family, the church. So let me read our scripture passage to you this morning. In fact, we're all going to read it together, and it's so simple I've got it memorized. So let's read this together. One, two, three. Greet one another with a holy kiss. This is the word of the Lord Thanks be to God. When my mom gave birth to me, my dad decided to adopt a practice into our family that was foreign to him. It was something his dad had never done to him, but it was something that he'd seen his father-in-law do to every single one of his children. My father decided that he was going to kiss his children as a sign of love and belonging. So from my earliest days, I remember my dad kissing me, usually on the lips, every time that he would greet me and say hello, every time we would say goodbye. And it was a practice that I too wanted to incorporate into our family. And I do, every time I say hello to my kids or say goodbye to them, I kiss them, usually on the cheek, sometimes on the forehead. But it's my way of saying to them, you belong. You are a part of our family and I love you. Now initially... When my daughter was born, my my wife Rachel expressed a little bit of discomfort about a a father kissing a daughter. She was worried about the romantic connotations, possible uh, development issues that it might cause for our daughter. So we we talked about this. We discussed the the pros and cons of of doing it or, or not doing it. We talked about our own families, how they each practice greeting one another. And I shared how meaningful to me it was that my dad had kissed me all the way through my my life and, and that he'd inherited that from his father-in-law and I wanted to pass that on to my kids. And as we discussed, we came to an understanding that, okay, this would be an appropriate thing to adopt into the practice of our family. A father can kiss his daughter in a, in a non-romantic way as a, a sign of family love, that she is a part of the family. You know, in the New Testament time, when, when those five passages were written, 
It was very common, both in Jewish and Greek culture, the two major cultures we deal with in the New Testament, it was very common for families to kiss one another when they greeted. Parents and children, brothers and sisters, even masters and servants would greet one another in this way. Typically, it would be a kiss on the cheek, maybe on the forehead or even on the hand. And in these five New Testament passages, we see that the church adopted this practice that was commonplace among families. Now, a little history lesson here. This, this practice, it continued throughout the early years of the church. It soon became known as the kiss of peace. It was actually incorporated into the liturgy surrounding communion. That's the words that, and the actions that people would do as they took the Lord's Supper. Before the church took communion, they would kiss each other, exchange the kiss of peace as a sign that, that they'd been reconciled to one another in Christ. We, we find Justin Martyr writing about 100 years after in the New Testament passages saying this, when we have ceased from our prayers, we greet one another with a kiss. This was like the order of service. We would pray, and then when we stopped, we would greet one another with a kiss. However, as you continue to look at the early literature, it becomes clear that this practice began to be abused. Clement of Alexandria, he was writing about the turn of the third century. He said the shameless use of a kiss occasions foul suspicions and evil Reports And such abuses actually led to some restrictions. In the fourth century, we find a document called the Apostolic Constitutions, which instructs men to only kiss men and women to only kiss women. Over the years, this practice of the kiss of peace, kissing our Christian brothers and sisters, it's, it's died out. I don't know. Is there anyone here who's ever been in a church where you've kissed one another? No, no. There was one person in the first service. So that's one person here all morning that's been to a church where you kiss one another. As far as I know, the only uh, tradition, Christian tradition, that maintains this kissing is the Eastern Orthodox Church. As part of one of their services called the Divine Liturgy, the priests kiss one another. Now, I'm sorry, Pastor Mark, but the only pastor I'm going to be kissing today is my wife, Pastor Rachel. <laughs> So what are we to make of all this, right? <laughs> well, here's what I see going on. The church, the early church, understood that they were family in and through Jesus. And in the first century, family would greet one another with a kiss. And so therefore, when the church met, when the family of God met, they should greet one another with a kiss. But it was a particular type of kiss. What sort of kiss was it? It was a holy kiss. It's not a romantic kiss. It's not an erotic kiss. Holy means set apart. It's a kiss which is designed to say, my relationship with you is set apart from my relationship with those outside of the church. We are set apart as family in and through Jesus Christ. And that is different from what I have with the rest of the people of this earth. And just like blood family greet one another with a kiss, those who are united in the blood of Christ also greet one another with a kiss. But for the church, this, this relationship, this, this, this practice of, of kissing, it began not because of their relationship to one another, but actually because of all of our relationship to Jesus. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, one of his followers, Judas, betrayed Jesus with a kiss. In exchange for 30 pieces of silver, it would be around a few hundred dollars today, Judas 
handed over Jesus to the authorities with a kiss. A kiss that Judas would ordinarily have given to Jesus when he greeted him, but a kiss that on that night signaled to the guards, this is the one that you need to arrest. And arrest Jesus they did. And they tried him under false charges. He was mocked. He was whipped. He was beaten. And then he was led to his death. Execution by crucifixion. It was with a kiss that Jesus was betrayed. And church, here's the reality. Every single one of us, at some point in our lives, and maybe on an ongoing basis, has betrayed Jesus with a kiss. Maybe not physically, like Judas, but in a very real and significant way. We've all done the same thing Judas did. Take the love that Jesus has for us and throw it back in his face. We've all done what Judas did, where we say, I want what the world has to offer me, rather than what Jesus has to offer me. Maybe for you, it's when you sought comfort in that one thing that you keep going to, to find comfort. Could be shopping, could be food, could be working long hours, could be binging Netflix, could be doom-scrolling social media. In that moment where we choose comfort in the things of this world over comfort in Jesus, that's us betraying him with a kiss. Or maybe it's when you made a compromise at work to get ahead, when you chose to trust in what we might call worldly wisdom rather than the wisdom of Christ betraying Jesus with a kiss in that moment. Maybe it was when you told a white lie to your family so you could cover up something that you'd done, trusting yourself as the judge of what's right and wrong rather than trusting Jesus as the just judge, betraying him with a kiss. Maybe it was when you fudged your expenses that one time, trusting that you could figure out a way to provide for yourself and your family rather than trusting that Jesus would provide for you betraying him with a kiss. In one way or another, we've all thrown back in Jesus' face what he offers us and said, I'm going to take what the world offers me and said, and, and in that moment, we've betrayed Jesus with a kiss. And yet, it was with that very kiss of Judas that Jesus met the destiny into which he was born. As Jesus was crucified, he bore upon himself our betrayal of him. We betrayed Jesus, but he never betrayed us. As he was hanging on the cross, he, he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. I believe that those words were the words that Jesus speaks over us. And by his blood spilt on the cross, we are washed clean. Yes, we're washed clean by blood. Jesus took the penalty for our betrayal, which was death. He died in our place. And instead, we received the life that only he deserved. And through Jesus' death, we are reunited to God. We are no longer separated because of our betrayal. The Father doesn't turn his face away, but he looks towards us with love and he embraces us as his sons and his daughters. There's a story that Jesus tells, we were singing about it earlier, commonly known as the prodigal son. And in this story, we hear about a young man who went to his dad and he said, Dad, I don't want a relationship with you, I just want your money. I wish you were dead. And his dad says, okay, here's the money. And the son walks away from home. He goes and 
wastes the money on reckless living. And when he comes to the end of himself, he hits rock bottom and he says, I've got to go home. And he goes home with a repentance speech in hand, ready to apologize to his dad. But before he even gets to the house, his father comes running out to him. And his father, before the son can say a word, embraces him and kisses him. I love this painting of the, that moment by the British artist, Charlie Mackesy. We actually have it hanging in our prayer chapel just over there. Let's take a moment to soak that in. Our heavenly father longs for us to return home to his embrace. He longs to greet us with a holy kiss, a kiss that says all is forgiven. You are welcome. You are accepted. You are family. You are my son. You are my daughter. I love you. And this morning, if there's anything in your life that is causing you to turn away from the embrace of the Father, anything that's luring you away, that right now the Holy Spirit is calling to mind, turn away from it. Repent of it this morning. Turn around, turn towards the Father. His arms are open wide. He longs to embrace you. He longs to welcome you into his love. And what he has to offer is so much better than anything the world has to offer. He will never betray you. The world will betray you just in the same way that we have betrayed Jesus, but the Father will never betray you. He loves you. He wants to embrace you. He wants to give you a holy kiss, a sign that you are a part of his family. And in the same way, in the same manner in which the Father embraces the Son in that story, in which God embraces us, the New Testament writers tell us to greet one another with a holy kiss. We are called to reenact that moment of embrace in the story between the Father and the Son. We are called to represent the love of God, represent the love of God to each other by warmly embracing each other and ministering God's love to one another through physical greeting. A few years ago, we had a neighbor who was an older woman. She lived all by herself and we got to know her and over time she offered to babysit for our kids and she did it several times. I remember one time coming home and her sharing about something that had happened that night. Our son, who was two or three at the time, had been sitting in her lap and uh, she'd been reading to him. And in the middle of reading this book, he looked up at her and he reached out a hand and he just put it gently on her cheek and left it there. And she shared with us, this was the first time in many, many years that she had felt that sort of warm embrace of another person. She said it was as if God himself was reaching out and touching me and ministering his love to me. You know, that right there, that is the reason why the New Testament commands us to greet one another with a holy kiss. Because in that physical embrace, in that greeting of one another in a physical way, we get to minister God's love to those who are around us, to our Christian brothers and sisters. The same love that is expressed to us in and through Christ Jesus can be expressed by us to one another through a physical act. We get to put flesh on the love of God for each one of his children. 
And that is why the New Testament commands us five times to greet one another with a holy kiss, that we all might know God's love for us, his children, in a physical, tangible, real way. But you might say to me, okay, that's all well and good, Ellis, but I'm not going to be making out in the pews anytime soon. <laughs> what does this actually mean, Ellis? Does that mean we need to go around kissing people in church? Well, I'd say probably not in the 21st century Pacific Northwest. But here's why, okay? I think this command of the New Testament is something that was said in the context of the first century. Remember how I said in the first century, it was common for families to greet one another with a kiss. And since the church was family, they should greet one another with a kiss. Well, I'd say in 21st century PNW culture, not every family greets each other with a kiss. Brothers and sisters, uncles and aunts, nieces, nephews, cousins, that's what, we don't all greet one another with a kiss. We're probably a little less intimate forms of greetings. But nevertheless, when we get together as family, it's not just like a, hmm, hi, nice to see you. It's a bit more warm than that. It's somewhere in between just a head nod and a kiss, Right? And so here's how I'd understand these commands to apply today. When we greet one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, we should do it in the same or in a similar manner to which we greet our blood brothers and sisters. When I see my sister, I give her a big hug. That's what it is for my family. It might be different for your family. It might be a side hug. It might be a handshake. I don't know what it is that we should greet one another in the same or similar manner to which we greet our blood brothers and sisters, all the while recognizing that the culture and traditions of another person's family might be different from our own. Someone else's family might be a little bit more reserved than those of you who like to go kissy, kissy, kissy. And we might need to respect that when we greet one another and tone it down a little bit. But nevertheless, the New Testament encourages us to greet one another as if we are family. And at the very least, I think that means we need to physically greet one another. Right? Simply to smile and nod, say hello and wave, I don't think that's enough. I really don't think we're obeying the command of the New Testament here. We've got to put flesh on that greeting. We've got to grab someone's hand and shake it warmly, looking them in the eye, communicating, I love you, you are my brother, you are my sister. Or if they're comfortable with it, we've got to embrace them in a hug. Maybe it's just a side hug, but a hug to say we're family, we're together. And I've got to be honest, this is actually really hard for me. As a Brit, I'm a little bit more reserved So this pushes me outside of my comfort zone. But the more I reflected on this, the more I realized actually it's my own insecurities coming through. I'm so worried about offending someone and and maybe causing them to dislike me that I I I don't know what to do when I greet someone and I do this kind of thing. Let anyone else do that? And I realized it's just my insecurity about being worried about what they think of me. And I need to let go of that. And I need to say love first. I've got to love this other person first. That's the heart behind it. Sacrifice, you know, who cares what they think of me? That's what I've got to say. I've got to communicate that they're loved because they're my brother or sister in Christ. 
Now, I recognize that for some people, because of their experience in life, they're going to want to limit physical contact. And so I might ask, let's make sure we respect one another's boundaries. We might open our arms for a hug, but if someone puts a hand out like that, just back down, go for the handshake. Now, for some people, physical contact's a really sensitive issue. And the best way we can express love to them as a brother or sister is just to meet them where they're at. And we all know how easily physical contact can be abused. So please be appropriate when you touch one another. And I'm not just talking to high schoolers and middle schoolers here, but I am talking to high schoolers and middle schoolers here. <laughs> but where possible, let's greet one another with a holy handshake or a holy hug. Maybe it's a side hug, like I said, but a holy hug. You know, I remember the first time I came back to church when I was 18 years old. I hadn't attended for several years. Pulled into the parking lot. I sat in my car like 10 minutes just sweating it out. I was so anxious about going in. Didn't, I, I, I was thinking about turning around and just going home. But I plugged up the courage and I walked in. And as I came into the church, I saw someone across the other side of the room who I knew from school. He was a young man named Tim. And Honestly, I'd exchanged a few words with him over the years at school, but that was about it. But he saw me, and he made a beeline for me. As he came towards me, he called my name. He said, Alice. He threw out his arms like this. And we came towards one another, and we embraced. Gave each other a hug. And in that moment, it felt like I'd come home. All that anxiety in the car, all that, oh, no. What's it going to be like? It washed away as I was welcomed, as I was embraced, as I was accepted for who I was. I was a part of the family. You know, there are some people here this morning who need that moment. They need to know that they belong. Maybe some people online who need to know that they belong. They need that physical embrace. There are people here who are lonely. They might be surrounded by people the, the whole time. But deep inside, there's this loneliness, and they need to know they have a place. They have a people. And we all have the opportunity to minister that to them, like Tim ministered that to me when I was in that place. He opened his arms, barely knew me, kind of awkward. We're British. Guys. So. But in that moment, I was accepted and I was welcomed. That's what the Father does for us. He embraces us, no matter your past, no matter your present, not even, not even matter your future. The Father, his arms are open wide. He longs to embrace you. And we too are, in call, are called to embrace one another, to greet one another with a holy hug or a holy handshake because we're family. Let's pray. Father, thank you that in spite of the fact that we've turned away from you, that we've said countless times in our lives that I don't want you, I just want, just want your money, I just want your gifts. And we've run away and we've lived recklessly. Thank you that 
You did not give up on us. You never betrayed us. In fact, you went so far as to send you, your son, Jesus, your very self to this earth to demonstrate the love of God for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that now you long to embrace us, to welcome us, to say, come home, I'm here. Thank you, Father. And I pray if there is anyone in this room this morning or watching online who needs to turn away from something, to repent of something that they're they're going after in the world, a place where they're saying, I don't want Jesus. I want what the world has to offer. And this morning they're recognizing it. If there are people here for whom that's true, Lord, I pray for them this morning that they would turn. And if that's you, maybe right now, you could just echo these words in in your heart. Say, sorry, Father, I've turned away from you. Thank you, Jesus, for never giving up on me, for giving your life for me. Please, Holy Spirit, come into my life. Would you embrace me with the love of God? for the rest of us, Lord, for all of us, in fact, would you give us courage? Would you help us let go of how we might look or how we might feel and be obedient to your command to put flesh on the love of God and greet one another warmly, physically, to demonstrate that we are family, we are together. Every single one of us is a precious, precious, chosen, Beloved child of God, would you make us a church that welcomes those who are coming into our midst, welcomes them with open arms, says you belong, we're for you. Lord, make us that sort of people, we pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us today at Chapel Hill Church. If you'd like to visit us in person, we're located at 7700 Scancy Avenue, Gig Harbor, Washington. Our worship services are Sundays at 9 and 10.30. We hope to see you there. To learn more about our upcoming events, visit us online at chapelhillpc.org.